How long does food last in your fridge? It might be time to restock. And the same holds true for strategic planning. To learn more, stay tuned. Welcome to CEO on the Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance, and I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. Welcome to this special episode of CEO on the Go. I really hope you had the chance to listen to the previous episode that featured my conversation with Jeff Schwartz, who is author of Work Disrupted. He shared many insights about reframing the future of work and emphasized the important role that executives play to help their organizations reimagine the future. So this episode is a natural follow-up to that because the topic today looks at the new model for strategic planning, a more empowered model. Just some quick background, uh, a friend of mine shared an article with me written by Martin Drake, founder of Benley Drake Consulting. And the article talked about the new model for strategy, and it really resonated with me. So I invited Martin to have a conversation on the podcast. I think our conversation will challenge how you think about and do strategic planning. As you may know, my own expertise is in this area, but I like to bring in other guests to share their insights and expertise as well. Of course, there are a lot of different ways to go about strategic planning. So just a little more about Martin. I mentioned that he is founder of Benley Drake Consulting, and that's a boutique management consultancy that helps ambitious business leaders dramatically improve the performance of their organizations. Martin has advised commercial organizations ranging from small family businesses to some of the world's most iconic brands. Clients include organizations like Weight Watchers and Walgreens Boots Alliance. He also has a separate business that serves the nonprofit market, and you can find more about that business at ProfitOnPurpose.org. We share a lot of common interests, both working across industries with organizations of all sizes, and we both run executive peer groups or leader circles. So we will include links to Martin's businesses in the show notes so that you can explore uh, his work in more depth. Martin lives in Nottingham, England, and he reminded me that that's where Robin Hood is from. He lives there with his wife, two children, and two cats. Something Martin mentioned that I especially like and want to reinforce is the idea that the strategic planning process can be a fantastic vehicle for helping teams bond and elevate their performance. And that's something that I found as well, and and he'll speak to that. I hope this episode prompts you to assess, you know, whatever current approach that you're using for strategic planning right now, and that it inspires you to identify new, more empowered and modernized approaches that work for you and your organization as you're reimagining your new future. Enjoy my conversation with Martin Drake. Martin, welcome to CEO On The Go podcast. Thank you, Gail. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah. Well, I know that we have so much to talk about. Uh, When I was introduced to you through a mutual friend, 
I, I could see immediately that there's a lot of alignment and synergy in the work that we're both doing. So the topic of the new model for strategy, I thought, is especially relevant. I know that I've been working with or working with clients to try to help them move forward in developing new strategies. I'd love to get your take. And I have to say, when I read your article, just the first question that you said, how long does food last in your fridge? Can you speak to that and why you pose that as the opening line in your article? Because I thought that I got it, but you can explain. I can explain. Um, you know, it's strange when you when you're sitting down and write articles, the, the strange things that comes into your head. Um, the, it's really just a metaphor for the. Let's just, just sort of take it back to you know how how strategy is developed historically, and you know, you'll probably have come through the same schools as I did, and. You learn that you do a big process and it's complicated, and then you you look forward, you know, build a plan four or five years out. And the assumption that on day one you'll then launch your new strategy and you'll start it and you'll you'll work it all the way through, and four or five years later you might you know develop the next one, just assumes that everything within that strategy kind of runs for four or five years in the same way that you know the question posed: How long does how long does food last in your fridge? It presupposes that all the food in your fridge lasts for the same length of time, and we know it doesn't. You know, there are things that will last three or four days, and there are things that will probably keep in there for a month. Um, and it's the same with with the elements of a, a strategy. There are certain things within your strategy that you can see a long way ahead, and you can plan for, but there are other things that you can't. And the idea that you create one big monolithic strategy that is going to last you for a number of years. It's quite is really naive, and the point I was making is it's like assuming that you restock your fridge once every six months, completely. You know everything that was in it, you throw away, and you go out and you do another shop, and that's going to last you for the next six months. Yeah, I can see that, especially with some of the larger organizations I'm working with, where they kind of have a, a trickle down strategy, if you will, where they're they're trying to set something big, and then have have all the different pieces of the organization align with that. I think we get trapped into this expectation that strategy happens in a big long cycle when in reality it, it doesn't and it shouldn't and there are a whole load of reasons for that yeah i would i would love to have you elaborate on those reasons because i think a lot of the executives listening are the ones who would like to introduce new ways of thinking and new approaches and and kind of help champion some of the the more innovative ways that they can go about developing their strategy so yeah feel free to elaborate I will elaborate. Okay. So it's interesting you say that because I think an awful lot of chief execs are looking for a different way of doing things, um, either deliberately and consciously or, or sort of unconsciously because they're asking questions like, how do we become more agile? How do we become more innovative? How do I empower my people? How do I get more ideas from the organization and, you know, more, more exploration, more, more dynamism? Um, and all of those things are constrained by having this sort of top-down, long-term strategy kind of model. Because what it what it means is that the leadership, the leadership decides, I guess that's sort of in Simon Sinek terms, the leadership decides the why, you know, what is what is the objective? What's the big goal that we're trying to achieve? I'm, I'm sort of jumping from one one uh, business book to another in terms of metaphors here, but you know, what's the big hairy goal? So so they'll define the why, but then they'll also try and work out the how. So how are we going to achieve this over the next few years? How do we do that? So all of this conversation either happens within a small leadership team or in the chief exec's head, and then eventually it gets translated into the what. So what are we actually going to do? What are the actions that we're going to take? What are the things that we're going to do differently? 
And that's what gets cascaded out. So the team get told effectively what to do by the leadership. And then they spend the next five years doing working this plan that the leadership has developed. Um, and, and it's no wonder in that context that you don't get an awful lot of ideas, you don't get an awful lot of innovation, you don't get that the, the organization that really understands the why and tries different ways to achieve it. Um, so, so this idea of, of moving to a much more empowered model of strategy, which is much more fluid, where you're much more open to different ways to achieve the same ultimate goals, which means you share those goals rather than defining the how you work with the, the teams to work out the how and so forth. And it sounds kind of messy, but, but as a process, it's much more inclusive. It allows much more creativity. It gives people much more space to innovate, but it also creates the space for agility, by which I mean, there will be certain things that you want to try that you might not know if they work. So you'll have to, you know, iterate through a number of different options. As, you know, if you're trying to bring a new product to market, you're not going to make a three-year plan until you've actually started to prove and demonstrate and get a product that works, etc. So these are the different aspects, I guess, that fall inside a strategy. You've got these few things that you can plan a long way ahead, but then these these things which are empowering people to do, much more objective-led rather than timeline and plan-led. And those things happen on a much shorter horizon. And so, so there is a model there that I think chief execs are looking towards, but probably still trying to work out how they get there. How do you develop a strategy? How do you manage a strategy that's kind of messy like that? That isn't the sort of Harvard Business School, you know, the, you know, start from the top and build your big plan. Yeah. It's interesting. You touched on a word, iterate, which has become a, a key word that I'm often introducing a lot more to organizations who are used to trying to perfect a certain statement or plan and leaders who can help their teams become more comfortable with the idea of iterating, I think will be most successful. So to me, it almost requires a cultural shift where you you help convey the idea to other people that things are always in motion. And so we have to keep trying and experimenting and tweaking. And that's actually a good thing. It doesn't mean that we don't know what we're doing. It means that we're able to move more quickly. So I just, I like the fact that you just mentioned that word because it's one that I'm especially sensitized to right now, because I think it's really helpful to think about iterating as opposed to perfecting. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we may talk about this a little bit more, but um the same is true when you think about your business strategy is it it needs to be in my view it needs to be um i'm laying down the law here but it, it does it in, in the modern world so when you think about, you know when were the all the big types of strategy models that we have most of them were developed in the 40s and 50s and maybe the 60s when when businesses that that did strategy they were big often global multinational certainly businesses with lots of different divisions and they had lots of money and lots of resources and they participated in pretty static markets you know the big kind of consumer goods or whatever it is or automotive these are big very predictable markets with very predictable big competitors and things like sustainable competitive advantage became really important terms you know and building building barriers to entry and all those sort of that was the model in which our strategy, as we have it, like, you know, it's great, great people like Drucker and those kind of, they, they developed these models in that context. But your clients will be the same as mine. The vast majority of them are not, you know, global giants who participate in big competitive markets that never change around the world. They, they, they don't, you know, most 
the vast majority, 99% of businesses are in that, you know, sort of small, medium, smaller end of large in very dynamic markets with you know very active competitors, a lot of which are going through disruption. The the models that we have for you know developing strategy for spending you know six months thinking about it and then three years delivering it, they're just not appropriate. For like they were never designed for that kind of organization in that kind of environment. So we do need to think about it very differently. And and the the iteration of strategy itself from you know do a plan that last five years, these days you're lucky if, if you're not needing to change it in 18 months because the world has changed. So again, the strategy itself needs to iterate much more quickly, which means you need to be much, much smarter in terms of the questions that you ask and the speed with which you make strategic decisions because it becomes an ongoing process. Right? It's not something that you develop and then lock down and then deliver anymore. It's something which is a continuous process. Yeah. So what would be some of those questions that you would suggest? asking different questions, what, what would be an example or two? I think it's always useful to start with the kind of questions around, you know, what would what do you want to be when you grow up? What kind of organization would you like to be? And, and I will often ask clients to think about it from four different perspectives, from an organizational perspective, internally and externally. So, so I use the word external quite loosely, but in terms of sales, customer perception, positioning in the market, you know, those kind of the standard things that we would normally use, you know, I'm going to be number one on this and we're going to be turning over 2 billion and all that sort of thing. Um, but from a company internal perspective, what is it going to feel like? How is it going to work? How is, what is, you know, the kind of cultural aspects and the, the, the way that people behave? Um, what kind of organization do you want to have inside? And then the two other perspectives, they're a personal one. Where do you want to be in three, four, five years time? Because in a lot of the organizations that, that I work with where they're often owner managed or they're certainly, you know, the, 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 the director's board might have, you know, a large chunk of the shares, et cetera. They, they've got a huge amount of autonomy They're making decisions that not only affect the business, but also have a lifestyle aspect to it. You know, how much commitment are they prepared to put in? What, what kind of you know, professional situation do you want to be in in five years time? Do you want to be slaving away the way that you are or do you want to be you know stepping back to become more of a chairperson and have somebody else in the chief exec role what are you looking for an exit all of those are the big questions in terms of you professionally and then you personally it's often the big factor in sort of businesses as to what what individuals want to get out of their lives outside of the office environment so if, if i ask people if i invite people to start with thinking about those kind of four different lenses what do you want in five years? What do you want to be? What do you want to become? It's usually a really good place to then think about, so what would need to be true in order for you to live that life? What would need to change? What would have to be the case? And then we can start to think about the big pieces of what the strategy might end up containing. I, those are great questions. And I really like the emphasis on the personal perspective where it's not just about the business. I too believe that you have to integrate the personal with the business and challenge executives to really think that through. A lot of them have been trying to think about it on their own, especially because of the pandemic. I see more people in general kind of rethinking a lot about what they really want in their life and their work and their business. So um, the fact that you can bring that out and uh, on the table and talk about it, I think is a really uh, healthy thing to do. I think more executives should do that. And I think I find it it's, it's a really useful thing. This is where it starts to get a bit woolly. 
when you start to think about strategy and culture together. Um, well, I think when I was first doing strategy, people would say, you know, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I, I sort of bristle a little bit about that because I never really understood what culture was. And it all seemed this sort of strange, amorphous thing. Um, but the more I do, the more I work with different organisations, the more I start to understand its relevance. I think when you see a lot of different cultures, you start to, to get a little bit more about what culture is. And so every organization, the strategy process will be slightly different because the culture is slightly different. Some may be a little bit more autocratic, some may be a little bit more, um, well, there may be more conflict in some organizations, there may be resistance to doing certain things, there may be sort of ideologies and beliefs that sit within an organization that, that will will tend to, you know, towards defensiveness about, you know, killing sacred cows or whatever. But every organization will have these cultural things inside it. Um, and one of those, you know, I'm sure you will have found this in your work, but one of the things that we as consultants have to do relatively early on is try and understand how the organization works and what it really thinks, what's the conventional wisdom inside it, so that we know what we're working with. So if it wants to if it wants to go in a direction that's going to be tricky because it's got all these internal barriers and constraints and beliefs and assumptions, those are the things that we know that we're going to, through this process, we're going to have to unpick. And so we're going to craft questions that will help to unpick those kind of things. But but even with um, a PLC type leadership team, everybody is bringing in their own personality. And over time, the team will go through that sort of process of norming and storming and performing and, and all those kind of things. But but quite often, a, a strategy process is a fantastic vehicle for helping teams form, helping teams elevate their performance. And one of the things that really does that is if they can be honest with each other about what is it they want out of life, professionally and personally, and particularly leaders and chief execs to, to be able to share that kind of stuff, to be vulnerable. And that allows the rest of the team to, to not see them on the pedestal. Now, there's a whole load of internal dynamics that always happen within teams, particularly ones where it's only managed and that sort of thing that everybody looks up for the answers. And allowing people to share a lot more of their personality through a strategy process. It sounds very touchy-feely, um, but it can be transformational in terms of not just the strategy that you get at the end, but the, the sense of the, of whether the team comes together around it, whether the team understands each other at the end of the process and really knows where it wants to go, where its strengths are, what the personalities are, what's driving, what's going to drive the strategy forwards. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Of course, you're preaching to the choir here <laughs> in your conversation with me. I, I so uh, agree with you on that, on being able to make that connection. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on the the universal nature of strategic planning that, that can apply to both for-profit and non-profit organizations. I know you and I both work in, in both areas and before our, our recording today, we were talking about some of the universal aspects of strategic planning. So what would you say some of those would be that could apply um, to, to either kind of organization that would be worthwhile to consider? That's a big question. Because um, you're right, I think there are, there are huge amounts of overlaps. And I, I probably am slightly guilty of, of noticing the differences more. Um, so with my nonprofit clients, a vision statement, for example, tends to be a vision of, of the world. It tends to be a, a state that they wish the world existed in. You know, Oxfam's might be a world without poverty or something like that. And then a nonprofit's mission will be their role within bringing that about, which may be 
collaborating with others. It may be delivering parts of it, it may be influencing other aspects of it. There's, there's a whole kind of process that a nonprofit will go through that, that most for-profits won't, unless it's a, a very sort of mission-led organization and it's really wanting to drive into social purpose. Um, but those are, I guess, you know, in, in the in the overall approach to strategy and the philosophy of strategy, those are probably quite small things. There's there's an awful lot more which is common, which is, you know, the idea that you are looking at somewhere in the distance where you want to get to a longer term objective, but you're recognizing that plans beyond 12 or 18 months are probably not really worth the effort of writing them unless I think you know, you, you work in an awful lot of different industries and I cover quite a few different industries. And there are some industries where the, the investment timeline is quite long and you do need to make plans for certain things, you need to make plans over a long period of time. But in that, in the same way, you have for-profits and non-profits, having that tension between um, the planning and the strategic direction, the long-term vision. One of the the phrases that I'm sure you've heard is, you know, strategic planning is an oxymoron because, you know, the, the two things are different disciplines. Where that comes out is in, in two different areas, and it's relevant to both nonprofits and for-profits. So the two things that I would say, the first is, is that approaching these types of conversations with a planning mindset is, and what I mean by a planning mindset is thinking about what we can do with what we've got thinking about how fur- how much further we can get along the, the road that we're going on right now. I often find within an organisation that that some people, and it depends on their background, some people are, are much more adept at having strategic conversations than others, and it's no reflection on their capability, it just really comes from where they are. If you're, if you're an operator, if your job is operations and running a business and, and running teams of people over you know, 10, 20 years, you develop a huge amount of skill in solving this problem today, in working with the team that you've got and trying to find ways to, to solve these things that are coming at you, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon that need to be resolved. So you become brilliant at that. And it's much harder for you to step out of that and think about what could the world be like in three, four, five years and what would need to change in order for that to be realised. That's, that's just such a strange and abstract question. Whereas if you come from a background which is more probably in the in the sort of head office commercial areas, my, back, my background, you know, when you're buying and negotiating and selling and, and thinking much more strategically and working out different options and how could we pull this deal together? What are the different ways? How is this going to come around and bite us in 12 months' time? You, you're constantly thinking in that mindset. So for you, it's much more easy to access that strategic space. But if you think about those two different mindsets, how do we solve today's problem for tomorrow? And how the, the second mindset being, how do we create this, this reality four or five years from now? In the strategy process, you want to be in that latter one. You want to be thinking about what the future could be and how might we realize that future and then work back to say, therefore, what are the things we need to do? So therefore, what should we be doing today? Because if you start from the place of this is what we've got, how can we improve it? You're never going to get to, to the, the heights that you could the get. The bigger goals and vision. The yeah. bigger goals, that's right. Yeah. So that would be the, the first thing that I would pull out is that that's common to both types of organization. Both can have a tendency to go straight into planning mode um, and both have a huge opportunity if they can access that more kind of strategic visionary mode. Yeah. Well, I know we're getting close to wrapping up, but I did want to ask you about what advice you would have for executives who are very busy, who are used to fighting fires every day, who may not have had as much exposure to strategic planning concepts or ideas, 
what would your advice be to help them become more comfortable, more aware, um, more proficient, and being able to exercise that strategic planning muscle? So many of the leaders I work with are really good problem solvers, great technicians, um, experts in their field, but the strategy stuff just is is a little bit challenging for them. So I was just curious to know what what you would say, what might be a good starting point or something for them to think about to become more comfortable in, in this kind of different way of thinking that you've described today? That's a really good question. Um, I would say call Gail. <laughs> or, <laughs> oh, I didn't even me. pay you for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, the, sometimes it, you need a little bit of help to do this. But if if that's a question that a chief exec is, is asking themselves, then the, that shows there is a desire to do this, to step out of the day-to-day and to spend some time thinking about the future. And the, the two challenges that most chief execs have is doing that is one is that they can't delegate particularly well or they don't empower. And, you know, I see that there's a there's a growth ceiling that happens with most organizations, and it's usually between about 10 and $50 million, depending on the industry, where not everything can go through the boss. And, you know, you, you see that happening and there's, they hit a growth plateau and it's because everything's going through the boss and there is no team. You, you walk into a team meeting with the senior team and it isn't a team meeting. It's a series of bilateral conversations between the boss and every individual person around the table. So there's a, there's a change that has to happen in order for the boss to be able to free their time up to actually think and to occupy this space. And one of the things that happens is that as a business grows, in your career, when you when you you know back when we had proper jobs and we had you know we're, we're in industry, if you moved from one job to another, somebody would write you a new job description for that job, and it would be different. If you're the chief exec of a ten million dollar organization that uh, you know in a few years time is thirty million dollar organization, nobody rewrites your job description, but your job has fundamentally changed. If you're looking after a team of a hundred people and and you know five years down the line it's five hundred people, your job is fundamentally different. It involves stepping out, delegating, empowering, and creating the space to have much more strategic thinking time for you. And nobody tells you, takes you aside and says, by the way, your job has just changed. But it, but it has. And, and I will say that the first most important thing is to recognize that as a chief exec, your job is, is not to be problem solving and, and you know, running the business. Your job is to be leading the business, certainly beyond a certain size. That is your job and, and developing team and developing people and developing capability. And once you've made that mental leap, then all of the other problems start to fall into a much easier perspective. You know, they, they start to become much more tangible and easy to solve. Yes, good. Well, we'll end on that high note then <laughs> on a positive. So Martin, tell, tell people how they can reach you and the best way to connect. would love for them to learn more about your work. Well, I am on LinkedIn. I'm, I think I'm Martin, M-A-R-T-Y-N, Drake, on LinkedIn. Um, but I, I also I have two um, mailing lists, and you're welcome to sign up to either of them. One is for businesses. If so if you go to binleydrake.com, you will see my you know, resources page, and on there you can subscribe, and there's a couple of hundred different articles. But you'll get something every couple of weeks, and, and there are events and evening sessions, evening in the UK, so every afternoon in the States. Um, but if you're a non-profit, I have a different site um, called profitonpurpose.org. And that's, you know, there's a lot of crossover between the material because there's a lot of crossover between the organizations, but it's written more specifically for, for charities, nonprofit organizations. Again, there's a mailing list there which you can sign up to. There are events which can come. All the events are free. Um, you know, and, and you're welcome to sign up to those and you're welcome to come and uh, you're welcome to get in touch. 
Good. Well, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me today and sharing your insights. It's, it's wonderful to speak with a colleague, like I said, where we, we seem to have a lot in common in how we think and talk about these issues. So I know your insights will be really valuable. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was great to see you. Good. And for everyone else listening in, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week, being more strategic and doing the work that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.